0: Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. I am super thrilled today to welcome Jake Anderson to the podcast. Welcome, Jake. Thank you, Jeremy. Happy to be here. I have, as of late, been asking folks for recommendations on sales leaders, and Jake is the head of enterprise sales at Dialpad. They are an all-in-one business communications and customer engagement platform. As head of sales, Jake is managing a team of managers who have reps working for them, and he has worked his way up from being an enterprise account executive there starting about four years ago to to the levels he's at now. So Jake, love to get to know you first by asking you a a quick question, which is, what's the first thing you remember selling maybe when you were a kid? Sure. Yeah. So um, I actually grew up most of my life in Singapore.
1: And while I was there, a lot of markets and places you could go to buy cheap things, for lack of a better way to say it. And I think that that sparked a bit of interest maybe in bargaining amongst sales like that. And we used to have a fair bit of garage sales ourselves at our house over there where I certainly got to sell a lot of uh, old items that were either mine or my brother's or families in some capacity and work on trying to preserve as much upside and cost as I could. So, But yeah, looking back on memory, that, that was probably the first time I took a stab at selling things.
0: That's awesome. I, I did sell at garage sales, and as I've mentioned a few times on this sh- on the show, I used to sell mangoes. That was the first thing I can actually remember selling because we had a mango tree out back. <laughs> Let's get into it because you know Dialpad as an all in one solution, I assume has typically appealed more in you know the SMB space where people do need those all in ones, and now. I think enterprises obviously are taking a, a much greater look at all-in-one solutions because they don't want to manage a million different different vendor relationships. Before we kind of get into the the sales side, how have you guys thought as an organization about going upmarket?
1: You know, I certainly didn't envision myself uh, selling phones, but that has ended up being the space I'm in, right? And I think that that can that can maybe sound a little boring, but there's quite a lot of uniqueness to the voice space now in this industry and. To your comment around kind of an all-in-one solution, I think any and every business really has a lot of use cases for voice and collaboration in some way, shape, or form. And historically, those use cases were all kind of dominated by the on-premise solutions like Cisco and Avaya and Mitel. And in many ways, they still do have a huge footprint on the market. But as as cloud vendors have popped up in voice, they very much specialized in a lot of niche use cases. So you'll hear right? there's vendors that just do corporate voice, vendors that just do call center, vendors that just do web conferencing, vendors that just do what is now emerged as a really big bucket of kind of conversational intelligence, right, and analytics around phone calls. And those vendors either do one or maybe two of those things, but very few of them do all those things. And so going to market as a business, right, that does try to allow businesses to standardize on our solution for all those use cases gives businesses the opportunity to benefit right from administration across all those things, economy of scale from a cost perspective, uh, unified analytics across the business. Um, and so those are things that I think as IT leaders and CIOs nowadays are looking at their tech stack and large enterprises, they're finding they've got 10 different solutions to manage the way their employees are communicating. And it can lead to a, you know, a fragmented admin experience, a fragmented end user experience, and then the end of the day, maybe also not as smooth of a customer experience that they're trying to drive. So, yeah, in terms of how that you know translates to us going up market, I think that you know we we've made a lot of investment in the product and the business um, on a more national scale lately in the past you know year year and a half to round the solution out to be ready to allow large businesses to standardize us in that you know a big company is going to pay top dollar for the solution they want to solve their niche use case. Can we? you know, get all the way there or close enough there to be a compelling option. Yeah, both from a product and go-to-market perspective. I think those are some things that we're, we've are we kind of been gearing up for in the past year or so.
0: The, the other thing I was curious about with respect to the strategy is, yeah, I mean, I guess if we were to expand a bit on like how you've worked interactively to feed information back to product and marketing, like what are some of the mechanisms you have in place to do that?
1: I think it's right to your comment, it's a balance that a lot of businesses have to strike as they as they go up market or down market, right? Just in terms of how they navigate that. And I think it's you know, salespeople are quick to complain about things or want more from the rest of the business in some way, shape, or form. And it's trying to kind of check those requests and asks with ensuring that you're doing everything you can on the sales side too, right? To maximize the opportunity and chance that you have. But in terms of feedback going back to the product, I mean, one of the I think coolest and you know most fulfilling things about working at our company is actually how like open and interactive our c suite is with our sales leaders and uh, you know willing to get on phone calls willing to talk to customers willing to help sell certainly willing to listen internally so I mean, we've got some software that aids with that in terms of collecting feedback from customers and putting in requests for things we want to build but at the end of the day it It generally comes down to a monthly cadence with a lot of our our product and senior leaders around what we're seeing in the field what we think we need you know we're we're built on an architecture that you know some of the older players i mentioned before are not that allow us to be a little more agile from that perspective too and that if there's a customer need that we need to deliver on and uh the price is high enough right then we'll we'll certainly consider taking that on and that's happened time and time again here too so one of those things I think that's a fulfilling piece of the role of you know you're passing feedback upwards it's heard it's sometimes taken into account you can see the results of it from a revenue perspective. so I think we just try to keep those things open and it helps that we've had a pretty uh, steady c-suite here and our, you know our founders are still here and they're very product oriented people so those things help but yeah, I think it's a you know a balance of ensuring your team's accountable to doing what they need to do on the sales side, passing feedback to product and then Right, ensuring that revenue is going to follow those requests.
0: The other thing, there's a little non sequitur, but the other thing I wanted to come back to was the the degree to which COVID has or has not been an accelerator to your business. I'm reflecting on when I was working for a Fortune 500 company. Right, we definitely had the desk phone. I remember it took a while, but we finally got a feature where you could basically forward your desk phone to ring your cell phone. It wasn't that was non trivial. It seems silly now, but it was it was non trivial back then. I'm curious cuz you know I'm working for a company that's about 700 people right now. Um so not a large enterprise, but I'm curious how how large enterprises are dealing with ensuring, you know, this ability for to communicate amongst each other as well as to allow clients and partners and so on to be able to get to people without having to hand out all the home phone numbers and cell phones that I think people are reluctant to give out.
1: You know, I think when COVID hit and we were all forced to work from home in some way shape or form the most kind of pressing need was really around contact center, in that, you know, your your call center that's supporting your customers or your sales people that are making sales dials, right? That that system can't go down or can't not function as a result of something like that, just with how sensitive that is to a business, right? So, you know, cloud contact center solutions have done very well since since COVID started. Um, the unified communications kind of corporate voice side has also certainly done well. It hasn't been bad for for our space, COVID, but I think it's less of an urgent need than the contact center side in that with technology like Zoom these days and Microsoft Teams and Slack, like you can get away with maybe not having your everyday corporate phone system, but you can't really get away with not having your contact center. And that doesn't mean that you're not still going to expand your, your corporate phone system in some way, shape, or form. Or of course, if you're, your on-prem solution is getting dated, you'd certainly think twice about reinvesting in that after what's occurred, right? So that that's still migrating to the cloud in some way shape or form across the industry but i think the contact center piece is what's a little more interesting and sensitive in times like this
0: well let's let's transition a little more into you know we talked a little bit about the alignment of sales marketing and product in in go you know, to market strategy for for going up market as i look back on your career you look like you've done something kind of unusual you might be the first person i can think of who did this which is you basically went straight into enterprise sales How'd you do that? Because I think a lot of people would love to know how, how do you skip the progression from SMB into enterprise?
1: So yeah, I went to university at Berkeley. I played on the rugby team there and I met a few alumni kind of through that. And it ended up being my first internship out of college working at a company called Lithium Technologies, which uh, since then was, has been acquired by PE and merged with another company and kind of rebranded now to a business called Coros. But in my time there, a few of the folks that I learned from um, were really pivotal, I think, in kind of my development. And then secondly, it was really an upmarket product and sale altogether at that business. You know, I interned there for a summer, I kind of went off and was playing rugby full time for a little while. And then when I came back as an SDR, I was fortunate to have had the internship experience doing similar actions that it was a bit of a quicker ramp up to that. And then I think just Partnering with solid, mature, experienced AEs alongside some really solid leaders, you know, allowed me to kind of learn the ropes quickly, and then yeah, turned into an account executive role in in that business. So super fortunate to learn from some really good people. I think there's so many AEs out there in the software world now, right? That to land at a place that happened to have some like really experienced, tenured ones that were good at what they did, I was super lucky for that. And it's also a relationship I kind of fond of and keep close to the heart in terms of like your AE does need to care about your, your SDR because it's a huge piece of their development and potentially the rest of their career if that goes well. So
0: yeah, so you mentioned that there were a bunch of people who were pivotal in your in your development, obviously, it's probably so many, but who stands out in your mind? And, and what did you learn from them?
1: Two people mainly. Um, one is Ross Beesman and other is Rickus Pretorius. They're they're currently the chief revenue officer and VP of sales at Service Titan, which is a exploding software company at the moment. Uh, they both were former Cal rugby players as well, and were guys that I like. I mentioned went over to Lithium to learn from. Um, And I think, you know, as we do as humans, we tend to lean on a lot of our experiences to inform what we kind of do in the future and how we maybe act in the future. And so I think a lot of the ways I look to manage my team and, you know, try to ensure that we're showing the right behavior across
0: the team are from a lot of things I picked up from them. What was different about them? How would you characterize maybe similarities and differences in, in their leadership styles?
1: I think Ross was more of the... For lack of a better way to say it, like cutthroat, do anything to get the deal done, like you know, push, push, push type of sales leader within reason, of course. And then I think Rickus was a little more taking a step back, thinking a little more so about the long term facets of all those types of engagements. That the fact that you asked that actually makes me realize it's quite quite a nice balance and has worked well for the both of them because they've worked together for a very long time, and then also probably shed some light to me and going through that of how I can maybe pull the best of both those types of personalities.
0: When I when I talk to people who are in your position right they were AE's, they went into first line management and now second line leadership. I'm always curious of how their philosophy of deal involvement is changing throughout the progression. H- has anything changed for you around how involved you get on individual deals as a first line manager And as a, as a sales leader.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, as the first line manager, you're, you're pretty involved and that also depends on the tenure of your people. Right. And that our segment, um, as we were kind of chatting about before has been growing a lot in the last year and a half. And so with a lot of new bodies comes probably more time spent on calls than if it were a, you know, fully ramped out team you know, that translates, I think, to both the kind of frontline manager and second line manager having to be involved in those types of things. But as things settle and reps become a little more autonomous, then I think in the second line level role, you can look more at things like, how many of these deals do we have executive alignment on? And how many of these deals do we have this on, but we don't have that on and can maybe just share observations back to your team to try to de-risk their engagements that are maybe you know, less involved in the actual call itself, and more involved in ensuring that their calls can go well because we're thinking about all the right things.
0: How do you think about executive alignment? Is that you aligning with executives and the customer? Is that you involving your, you know, your co-founders? How how do you go about that?
1: Yeah, I think it depends, but generally, it's uh, one of our executives with one of their respective executives, and another one of the benefits of still being a bit of a. Smaller and agile businesses, we we can do things like that. And I think in the voice space, when it comes to the contact center, especially, we're typically talking about things like you know customer experience and customer satisfaction and reducing churn or increasing conversion, right? And then on the sales side, you know, the similar topics of how how do we book more meetings if it's a BDR team? How do we increase pipeline? And we usually, right, have leaders in our business that are thinking about those same things that can have nice conversations with our prospects about how our product can potentially assist with those types of things. So, you know, while it is voice, it's a lot more connected to the business for the customer facing roles than I think maybe it has a reputation for. And that can, that can lead to, I think, some nice conversations between respective
0: executives. Do you philosophically reserve that just when they ask for references or, or does your team more proactively help facilitate those connections between existing customers and prospects?
1: Yeah, I think if there's a use case to your comment that really jumps out that's really parallel to something we've seen in the past, it would be a, a wise move to proactively do something like that to you know, maybe even accelerate your engagement. I think, of course, we want to be cautious of our customers' time. And therefore, if if it's you know the very early stages in a cycle, it's probably not the first thing being thrown out there. But look, it's another one of the many dynamics in an enterprise cycle that you kind of have to consider of how and when to play a hand like that.
0: Another thing I wanted to come back to is you—you you mentioned in passing this comment as you were coming up about the AE caring about the SDR. Can you expand why that came top of mind to you? And I assume it was based on you know positive experiences you had at Lithium.
1: No, I think it was the fact that the way that I was able to partner with my AEs starting off my career ended up being you know most likely one of the bigger reasons why I carried on with the line of work, right? And that you know was a good experience. And uh, certain AES will. Or give their sales development reps, I think, more exposure into the business and the and into the remainder of the cycles of deals that they potentially source uh, than other AEs will, and that can be really beneficial to an SCR trying to understand if this is a something they want to take on. And then I just think that when you're when you're that young and entry level. You're also just trying to understand how the business works, like regardless of your specific job, right? Like you have to source top of funnel, but there's a whole lot of things about software companies that you're only hearing for the first time. So the more you learn about that, the more I think it even makes you better at your existing job in those early days. So yeah, just something that I think is important for an AE to kind of be humble enough around is that, right, I can help bring this person along a little bit more than maybe I have to.
0: What's your philosophy on what an enterprise SDR should do? Because it it can be quite different. Where do you draw the line of responsibility between the SDR and the AE for your organization?
1: You know, it's different at a lot of different organizations in that some will have dedicated inbound versus outbound teams, some will handle both. Um, Our enterprise team handles both, whereas our mid market team is split between inbound and outbound. Um, And I think that probably the biggest reason for that is that we want our, our SDRs in enterprise to be a little more of like a a partner and extension of the AE and that if something, you know, if they're prospecting against something and something comes inbound as a result of that, maybe you don't know that that was 100% the reason, but they can then handle that inquiry. And then maybe we're prospecting into one piece of the business, but there's not something there. And then the AE wants to partner with their BDR and prospecting into another business unit inside the organization. So I think that there's just a little, you can work a little closer with your BDR and enterprise because there's more kind of routes you can go down there. At the end of the day, they're responsible for some pretty light qualification of things that they source, whether it's inbound or outbound, before they introduce an account executive, and then hopefully learn a lot from those initial discussions with account executives to be able to be more autonomous in handling some of that stuff themselves
0: going forward. Another role that I'm often curious about is a division of labor, basically, between AEs and post-sale resources call them CSMs or, or you know, they go by different names in different companies. Where do you draw the line between your expectations for what your reps should be doing post-sale as opposed to a customer success like professional?
1: Yeah. Um, so in terms of once a sale made and it's handed over to our, our implementation team, our, our AE is capable of cross-selling and upselling existing products thereafter. We have customer success managers that still manage those relationships and you know, maybe in in certain cases are involved in sales like that, but it is still on the onus of the AE to try to drive additional revenue inside a customer like that. So for a for a growing team like we've been, that's certainly been an area of focus, and even more so going into next year as as we sell new logos ourselves and continue to carry these relationships, we need to think about how we can maximize warmer relationships than all cold ones, right? And so. Yeah, that's a definitely something we partner with customer success and PS on, and yeah, it's still still a big piece of the AE's role. Though
0: one one last thing I wanted to talk to you about was talent. I mean, obviously, as you progress through the sales leadership ranks, hiring and managing people becomes a bigger and bigger part of what consumes your time. As you've looked back at reps who've been successful and reps who have not, what what do you think distinguishes? the successful folks from the folks who who don't continue at the organization probably
1: one of the biggest kind of surprises to me and in moving into new roles is how much time you do spend on talent right even if you don't have open headcount just keeping people warm just cuz that's a vital piece of the role so i think it's a few things and maybe it goes back to some of the things i learned too early on in terms of what kind of makes a successful ae and some are a little more fundamental and some are maybe a little more specific to our business but i think two big things are one, being really thoughtful, and then two, being really prepared. And what I mean by that is in in thoughtfulness, as an AE, right, you're quarterbacking a lot of different things and going into some meetings will be similar to previous meetings you've had. But in many ways, like the goals and agenda for a meeting are, are constantly evolving and different for almost any meeting. And so just being super thoughtful around what am I trying to achieve here? You know, What do they think they want to get out of this, and what's maybe my hidden agenda to a degree? What are the resources that I can tap on internally to maybe join a discussion like this? Just putting in a lot of thought around that, especially as a smaller business in a space with a lot of big vendors, you know we maybe don't get the second chance that some other other vendors do in our space. So thoughtfulness is huge, and you know there are ways to interview for that for sure. Preparation then, right? You've, you've thought about a good plan. Now let's really prepare on how we intend on executing on it so that we place a lot of onus on the research we do into accounts we're selling into and having prep calls with our SEs and our managers in some cases to just once again, make sure we're maximizing the chances we have. We don't get a seat at the table every single deal the same way, right? The, the big dogs in the space do. Um, and then I think thirdly, execution is like the next piece of that kind of the natural evolution of that and that you know, your thoughtfulness and preparation's only as good as what you then execute on. And I think the artful way of that is is trying to maybe deliver the most impactful kind of narrative or talk track you can in, in as few of words as possible and having really strong, impactful narratives in your cycles. And looking back to some previous times, I'll remember one of the earlier deals I worked on was just actually on a renewal and enforcing a five percent uplift on a renewal. And my manager just continuing to say to me, you're going to need to come up with multiple different ways to say the exact same thing, which is that you're going to need to pay this 5% uplift for you know reasons A, B, and C. And so even the ability to sit in your office or your, your room and speak those talk tracks out loud and practice them so that you can execute on them best. I think those are usually like the sales leaders and people that, that get a lot of respect or when you get on a call or you're in a meeting and you're like, they really were tight around that delivery and the execution of of certain talk tracks through a meeting like that. So those three things I I think are huge. And then lastly, maybe a more fundamental piece is just a a growth mindset for an AE, right? For anyone really. And what I mean by that is just wanting to get better. You know, Sales is one of the unique quantifiable roles where you get a lot of chances to figure out if you're getting better or not because you can win or lose a lot, right? And so whether it's in the business world, your personal life, your relationships, your fitness, your health, whatever that may be. I I look for people who are trying to get better at any and all of those things.
0: You mentioned that there were ways to interview for thoughtfulness as well. What what are some of your go-to ways to assess thoughtfulness? Because that's harder to assess.
1: Yeah, well I think it's uh it's not even necessarily in questions that I would be asking. It's more so in what candidates bring to the table in interviews. Like that, you know, you can provide materials. Like if a candidate doesn't make an interview their own in some way, shape, or form, that's a, a missed opportunity in that right, like you can be thoughtful about hey, what can I do to stick out here? What can I add to the material they were sent to seem a little different or What research did I do? Because I thought a lot about this interview to ask questions that were different or unique. So I think it's a lot about what you hear from them, kind of informs how thoughtful they maybe are.
0: I was just as you were saying. I was reflecting on interviews I've had throughout the course of my career, and I would say probably ninety percent of the people I've interviewed with, you know, it turned into a discussion, basically, right? Like it became free form, and I think that was part of the part of what was going on is they wanted to understand, right? Like how did I approach my job, how did I problem solve, how, how a lot of my jobs have involved collaboration. So like, if I can't build rapport and trust right in an interview, then I'm unlikely to be able to do that with my, my colleagues. Every once in a while, though, our COO is a good example of this, Rob Foreman. When I interviewed with him at Sales Loft years ago, he was like, we're going to be here together for whatever it is, an hour. I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions. You're probably not going to have any. We might have time where it was a particular type of interview. Uh, it's called a, a top grading. Where it's super duper structured, but I was just reflecting uh, on that. Is there any part of your interview process that is structured in that way, where the where the rep can't take over and turn it into a conversation?
1: Probably not. I mean, we we do a, a mock pitch section in our interviews to a to you know a two or three sales leaders where we want to see them actually pitch Dialpad and not to expect them to know our technology or our business, but to see how they engage an audience and what research they did before, right? How thoughtful they maybe were around planning that meeting. And that's the type of thing where, you know, if you just take the canned materials and spit them out, it's a big miss there. So uh, I think we always try to give an opportunity because that's so fundamental to what sales is of try to structure and maybe take the conversation in a route that you think's beneficial, you know, while we still need to get the things in that are important to us. But
0: yeah. I love that you have them pitch dial pad back to you when I was getting into this the sales game because I've had a different lot of different careers uh I'm old enough that that has happened I was trying to figure out should I have them pitch what they want to pitch to me should I give them something to pitch that's more common and conventional like sell me this iPhone or sell me this pen right the cliche uh or should I have them pitch my company to me and in the end I decided you know that the, the best was was what you where you landed right much sooner than I did which is pitch dial pad to me right like pitch my company to me because it does Show you the degree to which they prepared, and I don't expect them to be perfect on it. You see a big difference in the degree to which people kind of understand. So I think there's your testing both IQ and and conscientious preparation uh, in both of those things. Unfortunately, we run out of time. I guess the, the last thing I'd like to ask you before I let you go is, you know, like a, as you reflect on your own time in leading enterprise sales, what do you think is like the single most effective thing that you've that you've ever done? What are you most proud of?
1: You know i I hope that that answer will come in the near term because I think that the past you know year and a half, five, six quarters for me have really been about building this team out and getting it to a place where enterprise has a pretty long ramp until you can build a book of business, and you know it's an eight to twelve month cycle here, so we're we're just kind of getting to the tail end of having people with fully ramped targets where we're really trying to drive consistency across the country from a performance perspective, and I think that What I'll be most proud of is hopefully seeing a lot of my people succeed consistently across the country and the next couple quarters will really be a telltale of that. So
0: stay tuned. Yeah, all about the people. Well, Jake, thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you. appreciate your time. Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey Salespeople podcast.